The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Oh, good morning, chapel family. If you are new, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I am your pastor, and I am glad you are here. We are in the midst of a series going through the Bible one book at a time, and today we are in Ezekiel. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Ezekiel. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back, and they also make these cool little things in your phone um, called apps that I just discovered, where you can download a fake Bible, but it still has the same words. So please do that. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be. And before we jump in, I just need to confess something and and forewarn some of you. Um, I have a very weird, almost sadistic fascination with death. Um, Ever since I became a follower of Jesus, I just believe that when we die, we get to be with God. So I've really, really, really looked forward to it. It's been about, uh, let's see, this this year will be half my life. I will have now been a Christian for half of it in the first half, just kind of figuring things out and figuring out who God is and what I believe. But man, did I scar some of my early students when I was a youth pastor. Because I, I didn't know the rules in Christianity. I didn't know that you were supposed to be a certain level of politeness and political correctness. I didn't know that it wasn't okay to take freshmen and sophomores who were in your youth group to a graveyard to pray. Okay? I found out from the parents that that was not okay. I didn't know, even by the time when I I met my wife, and I remember meeting uh, my mother-in-law, and we got to talking about Jesus. My mother-in-law loves the Lord, and she's a a little bit older than me. Uh, Otherwise, that'd be weird. And... um, And I remember telling her one day, oh, Melody, isn't it so exciting how close you are to meeting Jesus? She didn't take it the way I meant it. She took it differently. And and until you get to know me, you may think I'm just being young and brash, but if you talk to my wife, you will quickly learn that I truly am longing for the day when death is just a memory in my life. And my kids, because they're so young, they don't know any better. My son Silas and I will talk at least a couple times a week about death and who's going to go to heaven first and what we're going to do when we get there and what coffee tastes like. Well, that's that's what I say about heaven. Um, He he asks, like, what can I do with YouTube? Like, will YouTube still exist in heaven? I said, no, YouTube is of the devil. Um, No, I didn't say that either. I said, of course, we don't get dumber. There's just like, you know, and it's, for those of you who grew up in the church, it's not GodTube, Okay. Heaven will finally remove all of the corny Christian things that we've been clinging on to, like bumper stickers that say spirit instead of sprite. Like, we're going to get rid of all that stuff, and it's just going to be normal people saved by Jesus. That's who's going to be in heaven, okay? So, so today, though, we're looking at this amazing passage. This thing was built for Sunday school lessons. This thing was built to terrify children and to wonder and awe of the power of God. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to read all the way through the text. So with all of your might, if you don't have a Bible, listen with your ears, turn on your imaginations, and here's the scene. At this point in the, in the history of Israel, we have the creation. Everything's good. Things go terribly bad. Chapter 3, only two chapters that were good. The rest of the Bible's a train wreck until you get to the end. Okay, so then you go, God's people, Abraham, Moses, you know, Egypt, Charlton Heston, staff, Red Sea, boom. Then they get their King David, little guy, little rock, big guy, fall down, head gone. And then the kingdom goes, and Israel's got their kingdom finally, but God said, I'm your king, why do you want a king? It's going to go bad if you get a king, and guess what? It went bad. And then those offspring begin to fight, and the kingdom divided, the north and the south. 
And during that time of division of the north and the south, that's when you have all these prophets. If you go to the middle of your Bible and you see names that you're like, I don't know what these names mean, Nahum, Haggai, Habakkuk, all these weird names that you've only heard of from like, I'm not going to be mean to homeschoolers anymore. You've only heard of from certain communities that name their kids Bible names. But that's where these guys come in, the prophets. And then after this kingdom divided, the Assyrians took over part, and then the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, came in with the story of Daniel, the lions, and all this stuff. Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped out Israel and spread them all around. He said, you are no more. And this is the period of exile. This is when Ezekiel takes place. In the midst of this exile, where they had lost their identity, where they felt like they'd been defeated, where they felt like there was no more hope, what in the world is going on, this is one of the visions that God gives Ezekiel, and it's incredible. Verse 1 of chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Speak my words over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and you shall and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me prophesy to the breath Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray, and then we just need to roll through this story. Father in heaven, there are dry bones in this room. There are dry bones in this community. There are dry bones in this city. Send your spirit to bring life. Send your spirit to remind us that we have a hope that is greater than death. We have a hope that is greater than sickness and sin. Lord, tune our ears and eyes to see you and hear your voice this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if, you're, if you have to choose one of the prophets to be, you probably wouldn't want to be any of them. But for sure, Ezekiel would be low on your list. 
because Ezekiel had some of the wildest visions and things that he had to do that God told him to do. For example, first, Ezekiel is the one who gets to see the angelic beings covered in eyeballs with four different heads. Most of us have that dream. We're calling our therapist the next morning. Okay? Second, um, Ezekiel... Oh, here's the worst one. My, my wife was reading Ezekiel this week, and, uh, and we talked about it a little bit this morning. I said, yeah, isn't it crazy that God told Ezekiel to do all these living illustrations? One of them was, Ezekiel, lay on your side, and I want you to cook all of your food, and I don't know how to say this without sounding like a middle schooler, over poop. Because I want the Israelites to see in the middle of the street every day that their food is going to taste nasty to them during this season. And Ezekiel cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I've never done anything so disgusting. Please, no, please, no. And then God says, fine, cow poop. Which is like the most incremental bad thing still. Like if you, like, Lord, how about like applewood smoked chips? Like something, like what's the, where's the jump? But no, it was this living illustration. And time and time again, he was getting these visions. On his 30th birthday, when he would have been installed as a priest, he was sitting by a river, and that's when God gave him this vision of God's glory moving to the east, to Babylon. So this day that was, should have been a momentous day, an amazing birthday, a career change for him, was a day where he saw everything is going to change. And then we get to this valley of dry bones. Now, I, when I tell you that I, I think about death often, um, this is a daily thing for me. I, I rarely will pass a cemetery. If I see a new one, I'll make a point within the next couple of days to go there. And I bring my Bible, and I bring my journal, and I walk the headstones, and I pray, because it reminds me how brief life is. Some of us are feeling that brevity of life right now. I, I asked some of the gals this morning, because I had to get some paper towels, and I've reached the age, um, I think I'm middle age, uh, unless I, I die younger than I already missed my middle age, but I'm about middle age, and I've reached the point where I can't sit down, stand up, or kneel down without groaning. Are you guys with me? All the 20-year-olds are like, what do you mean? So here's the sad truth, those of you in your teens and 20s. There comes a time in your life when you empty the dishwasher and it sounds like this. Oh, ah. And every time you sit down, you don't even hear it anymore. You sit down to watch a show at night and you go, ah. And you get up and it's like, ah. It's that season of life where it's not just coffee in the morning, but coffee and like three Motrin just as a preventative action. Okay, this is where I am. But I, I know, I know that this is not the way humanity was supposed to be. And we all know, we all have this sense, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we know that death is painful and that it doesn't feel right. Because even when we see it coming, we still weep and we should. Because it is painful. It is the paycheck that sin pays out. The wages of sin is death. Humanity has sinned. The paycheck that that writes out to us is you will one day die. Your relationships will suffer. Your body will eventually break down. And this story points to something so glorious. This story is God saying to the Israelites, you feel like you have no hope. You have been exiled. Your bones feel baked by the sun, but I have a plan for you. When I walk through these graveyards, is it weird to call them graveyards, cemeteries, memorials? I call them graveyards, I think, because of the types of shows I watched when I was a kid. And I, I have this fascination with zombie movies. Um, so when, when I walk through the graveyards, I'm, I'm thinking of the families, and then I see the, the, the years, you know. 60-something to 2,000-something, 40-something to this. And then you see the, the tragic ones, the children, where it's just a three-year span, same length dash. And, um, and I just 
think about their lives. And as many of you know, I have a, a wildly um, <laughs> colorful imagination. I'll just put it that way. So when I, when I see these things and I read these stories, and I know God can raise people from the dead, I have legitimately asked, like, Lord, this is all going to be gone one day. If, if you came right now, it would be optimal because I want to see how you put these people back together. And I know that sounds weird, and some of you are thinking, I don't need therapy, Pastor, you need therapy, which is true. We both need therapy, probably, which is why we're here. But, but I long for the day when death is no more. And the Israelites felt this national death because they had just been uprooted and dispersed. And their, their hope, which was in Israel, in the temple now, had been destroyed. So they're asking questions. God, what, what is going on? We are supposed to be your people, and now you've spread us out. There's no way that we can have hope because we're not at the center of hope. Who are we as a people? And they knew that their time was coming to an end because the Babylonians were very smart. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They would uproot communities, spread them over the empire so that after a few generations, all of the peoples would forget their national identity and be assimilated. Just like Star Trek. Where's my nerds at? Thank you. Jeez, we need to lead more nerds to Jesus with me. So, so this is pointing to something that we all know, though. We all have this sense that death is wrong, and we all have this sense that we are exiled, that there's, there's something not right about the world, that there's something wrong with death. And, and as a culture, we deal with death horribly, horribly. It's the one taboo topic left in our culture. And when somebody dies, people say weird stuff. As a pastor, uh, I preside over funerals and weddings. It's the only times you'll generally see me wearing a suit. So it's either the best day of your life or the worst day. Um, and at these things, part of what we do is like run defense on what might come out of somebody's mouth. And I'm not trying to ever be mean to people, but I just need to let you know, if somebody dies, they don't become an angel. And in all truth, they don't want to become an angel. The Bible says the angels look in on us wanting to know what we've got. They're like, ooh, what these humans get to be adopted in relationship with God. I want some of that. So we don't become an angel when we die. We are a being that then transfers from this realm to another realm, and we gets, it gets very metaphysical very quickly. And also, one of the crazy things that happens at death is that people say weird stuff. I will never, never forget Michael Jackson's funeral because of what Brooke Shields said. Anyone watch MJ's funeral back in the day? Sorry, we're in church. We don't listen to Michael Jackson. Oops. Okay, no, seriously, at Michael Jackson's funeral, Brooke Shields, I think I've got this quote here. I mean, it, it was just, she said, after her tearful eight-minute dialogue in the very end, we need to look up where he is undoubtedly perched in a crescent moon, and we need to smile. Like, that's the best our culture deals with death. And, and I've heard these things so often, and, and I get it. I understand death is painful. But if this is how we're dealing with death, it is not going to go well for us. Uh, Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, a neurologist, psychologist, he said that people have three, way, three ways of dealing with their impending death. The first way is that they go bad. They start in the Holocaust times when he was in the death camps. He said he saw people either go bad or they would, go, uh, they would give up or they would become quietly heroic. And the bad people in the death camps during, during that time in history, they would start betraying their own kind. Death was so terrifying to them that they would throw everyone under the bus so that they would be the last to get run over. And then Frankel noticed that other people would just give up. In these death camps, it was so much despair, so much 
brokenness, so much evil that people would give up. They would just stop eating, stop functioning, stop seeking, stop hoping. They would simply give up. And the third type of person that he noted in these camps during World War II was that some became quietly heroic, standing in for those who were getting trampled, stepping to the front of the line, giving up their own food portions, protecting those who could not protect themselves. We have an opportunity as people who believe in a resurrection to not go bad when death comes, to not give up when death comes, but to quietly and heroically mimic what our Savior did for us, to step into the gap, to reach down to the depths and the areas of brokenness in our culture, to reach down into the midst of pain and offer a helping hand. And it does hurt. But here's what happens in this story, and I just love this. Verses 7 to 10. In verse 7, the bones become skeleton. And I love the Bible. I wish they would do like more of that Bible narrative that they did for the History Channel because I love these stories. And in my head, when I'm reading it, I hear this because it said that everything was shaking and rattling. So if you're there with me, like if you're in the theater and you're crouched down, Diet Coke, popcorn, and you're watching this, it's the camera and, and it sweeps in. Ezekiel appears in a valley and the valley is baking hot. The only plants that survived have a tiny little lizard, and he's begging for a drop of water. And the camera sort of pans from the 11 o'clock sun, and it sweeps down in, and all you see are these bones that are porous and bleached. And then you get that, that Dolby digital surround, and it starts shaking your little recliner at the theater. And you see the bones shaking. And it's like these special effects movies that just make Lord of the Rings look like children's Play-Doh. And the bones come together. I mean, if you're Ezekiel watching this, you're sitting here thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. And I don't know what he's thinking when the bones get together and skeletons pop up like straight out of Jason and the Argonauts. And then, that was a throwback for those of you who were born before 1950. Um, and then the, the flesh comes on them and you've got the muscles and the tissues. Because as much as I love death, give me a medical textbook and I'm like, hmm, because I don't like those images. I'm not about the muscle without skin. I like the way God made us. When I crushed my hand under a big tree planter and it was stuck until I screamed for a savior and a giant mechanic hurled this concrete block off my hand, when I took my finger out, I saw parts of my finger that were Terminator-esque but still my hand. And I wasn't about that life. And Ezekiel saw an entire army rise up, first the skeletons, And then the flesh. God, yeah. And then the skin where it's like, twink, you know, they could wink again. Because if you have muscles but no skin, you can't wink. That's weird, right? Are you with me? Are you tracking what you miss at each of these phases? But then they were just, I don't know if they're standing, laying, leaning, stanky legging. I don't know what they're doing. But they, they're there and they don't have life. And then God says, Okay, I brought you from bones to skeletons. I put bone to bone. I put sinews on. I put skin on. I put, but they're lifeless without the breath of God. So prophesy again to the wind. Now, you need to know this because it's important for all of your Bible reading. The word used for wind in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament is ruah. Everyone say ruah. And say it with a little windiness at the end. Ruah. Okay. In the, the New Testament, it's pneuma. I mean, the H isn't in that one. I just wanted to make you guys look funny. They both mean spirit and or wind and or breath. 
So when you read the Bible, the translators are trying to figure out the context for this. Okay, which time are we winding? Which time are we breathing? Which time is it the Spirit? Because it's the same words. It just depends on what the supporting cast around that word is. But when you read stories like this, it's the sense of God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind coming into a being. Remember when God, God made Adam and Eve? He whipped them up out of dirt, whipped up Adam, and what did he do? He breathed God's breath. And I love that old rabbi that I've shared this before who said that even the name of God, Yahweh, has the sound of a breath. And we are speaking God's name with every breath. I don't know if I entirely believe that, but I think it's fascinating that a rabbi does. In the moment we stop speaking God's name on every breath, Yah, hey, va, hey. The moment our breath leaves, we die. Now, I hope that's true because it's super cool. And it makes talking to people so radical. Like the young man I talked to this week at my coffee shop foundation, just bombarding against God, bombarding against God, and I'm just sitting there. Wow, you're literally bombarding against God with God's name on your breath. And I, I pray, Lord, keep this kid alive till he can meet you. But, but the breath is what gives us life. The wind is the spirit of God within us. After Jesus died, the death we should have died, rose again, ascended into heaven, the disciples were gathering around, and what came down, tongues of fire and the wind rushed through. The spirit came upon them. Without God's breath, we do not have breath life. And, and God was giving Ezekiel this very important message. Right now you are a nation of dry bones, but I'm going to breathe life onto you. When Jesus had resurrected, he went into the upper room with his disciples, and it said that he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. Wow. I mean, to be breathed on by Jesus is going to be pretty sweet. We won't need him to give us a spirit because here's something amazing. We have it right now. If you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit of God, the same spirit that can raise up dead bones, the same spirit that could make a man who had been dead for days come out of his tomb, the same spirit that could raise a dead little girl, the same spirit that could heal the, the eyes of the blind or the ears of the deaf, this same spirit lives within us. And it's amazing to me sometimes that, that we're sitting here thinking, man, I... I just can't I just can't find the time to do this I can't find the time to, to get with God I can't find the time to be with my church family literally the person who created time is in you I mean let this blow your mind and terrify you for a moment the creator of time the creator of life the being who holds all of the power of the universe said I am going to cram into my people in here, this weak, frail being. In here, this person who some days I think, oh, I can't make it through my day. This has literally left my lips. I don't think I'll make it through today without coffee, I say, as the presence of God lives in me. Cup of coffee. Holy Spirit who washed and created the universe and regenerates all things and sustains everything. Oh, but I just need that cup of coffee, Lord. Or, God, I, I, can't, I can't forgive this person. I just can't do it. They've done so much wrong to me. Okay, 
and the same spirit that led Jesus all the way to the cross. The same spirit who, whose motivation was, we're going to take Christ to the desert. We're going to lead him from city to city. And we're going to take Jesus to the cross where Jesus, the Son of God, says, I will die willingly so that I can go and you can have the helper. The helper, capital H, is the Holy Spirit. Because he said it will be better for you that he goes and the Spirit comes. It's better for us. If you're one of those 12 disciples, you're like, Jesus, hold up. You walk on water. You heal blind people. Last week when Peter's mother-in-law had a high fever, you were like, boom, boom, it was gone. You're a pretty good guy to have around in a pinch. Right? You read minds. I mean, if I could choose a friend, I'd choose the mind-reading, commanding, ocean, walking on water, blind-healing, dead-raising guy. If I have to choose between you and him, it's him every time. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I have to go because it's better for you that you get the helper. You may think this is cool, but you have no idea the power and the scope that I'm going to put into you through my breath, my spirit, my wind. So their breath came in. They prophesied, and the bones began to shake back to life. Now Israel had been in captivity because they had rebelled against God. This is the pattern of the Bible. If you are new and you think the Bible is a record of righteous people, you would be very, very wrong. The Bible is a record of ragamuffins, rebels, and rogues, and train wrecks, just like you and me. And in the story of the Bible, God is trying to teach us something over and over again. Here's who I am. Here's how perfect I am. Here's the standard. And then we, we try and we fail. We try and we fail. As God's writing the Ten Commandments, people are making an idol and just going through all sorts of sexual sin at the base of the mountain so that Moses comes down and breaks the first draft of the Ten Commandments and has to go get God to recopy them. And then you go with David. God says, you don't need a king. We want a king. So over and over again, the Bible is, here's who I am, and you fail. Here's who I am, and you fail. You, you, you fail here, you go to slavery in Egypt. You fail here, the kingdoms get divided, someone comes and takes over. You fail here, you fail here. Now, if you think that, that your life is out of reach with who God is looking for, you have to ask yourself this. Do I have a pattern of spiritual failure in my life? Because if the answer is yes, then you are uniquely and perfectly qualified to receive Jesus. If your answer is no, if you say, yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't mess up all the time. I don't blow it. I'm not selfish or self-centered. I'm always other-centered, God-centered. All I do is just, oh, Jesus, no one else. I only wear Christian t-shirts, listen to Christian radio, hang out with Christian friends. If that's you, A, your life is sad and boring. B, B, you're, you're lying to yourself. The reality is, is that we fail often. The reality is that we need a Savior. The reality is that at the end of the day, this exile that the Israelites were in is pointing to the greater exile that you and I are in, the exile from life and connection with God, the exile that didn't begin when the kingdom split and rebelled, the exile that began in the garden when two people chose try to be like God instead of follow God. When two people said, ah, I, I think I want to be like that guy. I don't want to take orders. In the rest of history, we've been following this pattern. And here's the amazing thing about this. At the end of this story, it says that they're going to bring them back into the land. They're going back into the land. Now, did the Israelites do anything that merited going back? They had blown it. They had turned from God. They had worshipped other gods. They had said, God, we don't want you. We want them. So God exiled them. But then he let them back in. He let them back in. 
I think that's fabulous, uh, this part of the story. Because uh, as you know, and as I know I share about this a lot because it's the station of life I'm in, I've got three kids. And sometimes I kick them out, and I don't want to let them back in. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yesterday, I wanted peace in my home, so I literally told uh, my two boys and the neighbor boy, I volunteered him up, I said, if you guys go around our lake with your tablets, I will give you a quarter for every animal you take a picture of. And I said, even ants count. And literally, these kids are just going around like this. And man, that was the best $3.75 I've spent in a year. Because I just needed to get away. But I, I, needed, I needed to exile my children so that I wouldn't harm them. But I welcomed them back in. I still feed them occasionally. And God, he's so gracious that he would look at us, dead bones, and say, you've been exiled because you've chosen other things. You've chosen to worship your own money. You, put your, you look for money to be your security. You look to the approval of others to give you a sense of validation and worth and acceptance. You look to all these things, and I'm right here. Don't worry, I'm going to breathe on you. I'm going to send my spirit. The world will tell us that this exile, this exile of death is natural. I don't, I don't think that it is natural. We are created to be with God forever. No matter what Brooke Shields says or what cards talk about being angels, it's, it's unnatural and it's painful, and we know it. So we need to move. How do you move from being someone who's in the exile with God to being accepted by God, and what does this passage say about that? The key is right there in the middle of the passage talking about uh, verse 11, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. So the Israelites said, we are cut off. You need to know today that outside of Jesus, you are cut off. But here's the amazing news, that there was someone who was cut off on your behalf. The reason the exile for the Israelites could end is because God was moving the story along, as we're looking at in this series, from the garden to the city. How do we get from the garden to the city, and what does Jesus have to do with every book? Right here in this moment, in this story, talking about someone being cut off. Yes, the Israelites were cut off. Yes, you and I were cut off. But God says, I'm not going to leave them cut off. I'm going to go down there, put on flesh, live the perfect life, and I will be cut off so that they don't have to be. This is the passages we talk about, about Christ now lives in me, I am dead in Christ, I'm clothed in Jesus, because he came down, was cut off on our behalf, so that now we can be grafted in. Jesus is the ultimate end to the ultimate exile. The Israelite story was a foreshadow and a picture of what God was doing, and he did it in Jesus. And I love the very chapter before in Ezekiel, it says this about the coming freedom from, from all of the exiles. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God will put his spirit in us that will cause us we were talking about this at men's uh, Bible study. We, have, we meet at Foundation every Saturday morning about how as you grow in Jesus, things that you once didn't think about as being wrong, 
you realize, yeah, I shouldn't do that anymore. And the one that stood out to me, I think, because I struggle with it, um, I call it mental murder, a.k.a. road rage. Um, And it's one of those things where as you grow in Jesus, in the very beginning, you're like, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't do these big sins anymore. I should stop lusting or looking at this. I should stop thinking about killing people all the time. And, And then all of a sudden, you keep walking in Jesus. And we do this weird thing in church. It's almost like... um, it's almost like this veneer of fakeness. It's like, it's like the Stepford wife look meets Krispy Kreme glaze. This is what church people end up looking like. Because we clean up the outside just enough to where everyone thinks that we're all okay. And we come on a Sunday, and I know I joke about this, but it, it, it's a real issue. We come on Sunday, and, hey, how's it going, how's it going, how's it going? Oh, good, good, great, 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 blah, 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 blah. Like literally 20 minutes after you probably spanked your kid because you're from Florida and you have like logs to beat your children in your van right? I mean, I'm not being like a mean to Florida people, but y'all are crazy. <laughs> and you, you come in here and you're like, oh yeah, my life is grand. Oh, I haven't talked to my wife in three and a half weeks. Or man, my husband is just the most angry person ever. On National Woman's Day, he made me like do this or this or that. Like, there's the crazy things that I hear. But then we put up this veneer when we're at a church gathering. Everything is okay. My life is great. I am so happy right now. And then next month, there's divorce, foreclosed homes, wayward children, uh, abandoned faith. God says that when he comes into you with his breath, he will change you from having a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. This means that in the moment that God breathes life upon you, you no longer have this cold, dead, self-centered attitude. And I'm not saying that everyone outside of the faith is cold and dead. I want to be very clear about that. I think too often as Christians, we paint people outside of walls of churches as these like demonic, baby-eating, murderous monsters, okay? They're they're not, right? Some of you are here right now and you're finally thinking, yes, I'm not. I, I need you to know that we're all human beings created in God's image. And if we demonize people who are different from us, we are becoming the exact type of people that God does not want us to be. We are having stone-cold hearts again and forgetting that we have a heart of flesh that, that should be compelled to follow God. And as we talked at the men's Bible study, things that we once didn't even know we did, God has brought to light. And we start changing. And this is what the Christian life is. It's a slow change from one degree to the next. Some people have that miraculous story, and, and I know I've heard them before, you've heard them before. I'm not a fan of the miraculous story because it crushed me when I was a two-year-old Christian. When I was 19, 20 years old, and the super, super testimony Tom would come up and just share this amazing testimony about all the freedom that God gave him, about how he did sins that for every letter of the alphabet, and God just, boom, in a snap. And then I'm sitting here as a 19-year-old young man thinking, man, I've been following Jesus for two years. And I literally can't stop worrying and lusting and being arrogant. God, could you just take one of those three? You took Testimony Tom's sins from A to Z. He's perfect. And we've all been there at that church where when Testimony Tom walks back to his seat, the organ music plays and the lights follow him, but it's just God shining a smile upon him, right? And I'm up here telling my testimony, like, I am a train wreck. I'm looking for Jesus, and sometimes he's hard to find. I pray and sometimes my prayers feel like they bounce off the walls and hit me in the forehead. This was my life and is my life as I pursue Jesus. 
Because the reality is, with the breath of God, we are fully saved, fully loved, fully embraced, fully righteous because of Jesus, not us. But we are still in this life, and the stain of sin has still marred us, broken us, and shattered us. And I will gimp my way, hopefully shedding off the sin as I go, so that as I get closer to the finish line, whether it's today on the way home, Lord willing, or 60 years from now as an old man in a nursing home, as I shed sin, I'll become more like Jesus because he's shaving it off me and it hurts sometimes. But this is what it means when God says, I'm going to put my wind in you and give you a new heart and cause you to know my laws from the inside out, not from the outside in. So that now for the first time in your life, we can stop pretending that we have it all together. For the first time in our lives, when we read the Bible saying crazy things like you were dead and your trespasses and sin, you can just agree and say, yeah, I was dead and I needed a resurrection. We don't need to make theological excuses for words. We need to read the scriptures. And when the Bible says things like you were dead and your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God, but God being rich in mercy, for those of you who were here last week, the comments I had about big butts were amazing. For those of you who weren't here, um, I said one of the most glorious things in the Bible are the big butts of God. Because we are dead, but God. We were in the grave, but God. We were heart, had a heart of flesh, but God, but God, but God. And then I did rap a little bit of Sir Mix-a-Lot because I wanted everyone to remember that, that when God intervenes, life happens. When God intervenes, everything changes. So, First, you need to hear it. As Ezekiel prophesied the words of truth. And then, after you hear it, you need to believe it. That God, that for you and the person and work of Jesus. And then the, the best part of all is at the end of it, notice that it wasn't a valley of skeletons who were going to form people that sat in church rows. He didn't say, Ezekiel, come to the valley and look at all of these people. They are a mighty gathering of sitters and standers. He said, this is an army. An army. What does an army do? Fight. The military people are like, we email and press buttons. <laughs> I know you guys fight. Don't be silly. We fight. Who are we fighting? I mean, like, I don't mean like in reality, like I know we fight each other as Christians all the time. Oh, this guy believes in the gifts of the Spirit. Boom. They don't even read the Bible. Oh, boom. Oh, they have the wrong version. Boom. Oh, they don't do Sunday best. Boom. Sunday best, by the way. What a, I mean, I love it. But when I say Sunday best, I mean, what I want you to do is bring your absolute worst so that you can get Jesus, who is your Sunday best. Okay. I'm going to wear a suit one of these Sundays and trick you all. Believe the gospel. Hear the gospel. Believe the gospel. We have access to this because Jesus was cut off in Isaiah 53. He was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. The Israelites were cut off, but God had a plan to cut someone else off on their behalf. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe this? That's as simple as this gets. And if you do, are you part of the army? Are you going to not just join a Bible study, but put your life on mission to speak the truth to other dry bones so that they can rattle together and hear? Do you believe this? And if so, what will you do this week? Let me pray.
Father, send your Spirit through our city, our state, our nation, our world. Lord, I thank you for the revivals that have been breaking open around the globe. I thank you for those who you've enlisted into your army, who you've breathed into. I thank you for those people who are sharing the good news with their neighbor across the street in Fishhawk. I thank you for those who are running ministries in downtown to feed the homeless. I thank you for those who uproot their families and move to, to northern Iraq to share the gospel. Lord, let us all play our part and our role and not be afraid of what you will call us to do. But before we do anything, let us rest, knowing that you were cut off on our behalf so that we don't have to earn your love. You give it to us as a free gift. Lord, help us remember today on this Communion Sunday how you not only save us in the traditional church sense, but you breathe life into us. Life that will push back against physical death and relationship death and social death and that we would be ambassadors of this amazing, incredible power to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.